When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And so when I'm play- playing these songs and singing these songs, Police or ELO or Olivia Newton-John, I'm, I think part of it is I'm trying to recapture or re-experience some kind of magical, innocent love of music. And it works, you know, it, it, it's, I'm getting those feelings back. Welcome to Behind the Setlist, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. In this episode, we talked to Juliana Hatfield, the veteran indie musician who first came widespread fame for the song Spin the Bottle, recorded as the Juliana Hatfield 3, on the soundtrack to Reality Bites, a 1994 movie starring Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke. But Hatfield was well-established by then, having formed the Boston band The Blake Babies in 1986 while a student at Berklee College of Music. Her 20th studio album, Juliana Hatfield Sings ELO, is set to be released November 17th, and it's an album of, well, you guessed it, songs by Electric Light Orchestra. Pre-orders are being taken at her website, julianahatfield.com. It's actually her third album of cover songs, following Juliana Hatfield Sings Olivia Newton-John from 2018, and Juliana Hatfield sings The Police from 2019. And Juliana has had some amazing friendships. Over the years, she was briefly a member of the great indie rock band The Lemonheads in 92 and 93. She recorded an album with Paul Westerberg, the frontman for The Replacements, in 2016 as a duo called The I Don't Cares. She formed a group called Minor Alps with Matthew Cos from Not A Surf and released an album called Get There in 2013. And she's a member of an international supergroup called The Salt Collective that also includes Cause, Matthew Sweet, Richard Lloyd of Television, and Mitch Easter, who was a member of Let's Active and co-produced R.E.M.'s early albums. Yeah, one of the things we talked to her about are the changes over the years in the way that people enjoy their music. You know, streaming is more prevalent and people buy fewer albums, yet she continues to be an album-oriented artist. So now, without further ado... Here's Juliana Hatfield, behind the set list. Let it roll. Juliana, it's so nice to meet you, and thank you for joining us on Behind the Set List. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. We find that uh, a lot of artists have never really been asked about their set list before, and we've, you know had some really good conversations and 
one of the things that I noticed looking at your last couple of set lists, um, you've ended with a couple of ELO songs, and I know you've got uh, the ELO tribute album. Juliana Hatfield sings ELO coming November 17th. Um, but it wasn't just the hits. There's a couple of surprises in there. Talk a little bit about how you, uh, how you came to love ELO and how you came to decide what songs to record. Well, ELO just seemed to always be in my life. Um, growing up, ELO songs would come on the radio and they, I was always mesmerized by the sound when they, they just, an ELO just lit up the radio, you know? And um, also I was, I remember being really scared by a couple of them, a couple of like the, the creepy choirs and um, oh, what's that one song? The scary one that scared me as a kid. I forget, I always forget the name of it. Um, yeah, so I just, they were just kind of part of my DNA almost. They were always there and very, just so enjoyable and fascinating, all the layers of sounds and, you know, the strings and all the vocals. And so I just loved them, you know, and I still love them. And when I was choosing songs for the album, I, I definitely wanted to um, focus on some of the really well-known catchy ones like telephone line and don't bring me down just because they're such great constructions and they're so fun and um well made but then i wanted to i wanted to highlight some of the more obscure stuff that maybe people hadn't heard of like the late later albums like the zoom album mm -hmm. um, has that great song ordinary dream on it and yeah there's just a uh a lot of stuff that I discovered after, you know, later that I hadn't, I hadn't known about that album, for example. Yeah. Me too. And secret messages. Yep. That's from um, the eighties. Yeah. Really good. Um, it, Jeff Lynn's short hair period. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Just, he's just still, he's still got it. You know, he's still writing great stuff. Um, still playing and singing great. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about how the songs are live compared to what we'll hear on the album. ELO, you're you're dealing with a band that has a big production value, right? And uh, what do you do when you play these live? What's it sound like? Well, we don't have the spaceship. <laughs> we don't have the um, no? space for that stage set, um, unfortunately, because I, I have a thing about spaceships, and um, I like... I like thinking about spaceships and, and alien life. Um, so it's difficult. It's difficult to play. Um, it's difficult to get my head around. How do you play an ELO song live when um, there's so many layers on the recordings? And, and my my recordings of ELO songs are slightly stripped down compared to ELO. Like I don't have an orchestra, or even I don't have a real orchestra, or even a you know string quartet. Um, I was figuring out workarounds with the strings. Um, like with keyboards and also I sung, I sang some of the string parts. So live, it's kind of a, what, you know, it's a question, what do you do? You, you strip it down and um, you just kind of find certain parts that you can work in with the bass drums. And then um, vocally, when I, the last couple of shows I did, I was lucky enough to have a couple of extra vocalists that I don't normally have, like Kay Hanley was helping me out, and um, 
a couple of other people that were um, that were playing the band. So you need you need some vocals, extra vocals for sure. Yeah, it sounds like some of these bands that you grew up on, they were your comfort food. You know, the Olivia Newton John, and you did the covers. You know, the Juliana Hatfield sings the Police. And again, with that album, which is so much fun to listen to, there were some surprises in there. It wasn't just, you know, every breath you take. You had some mm-hmm. deeper album tracks. So, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about your uh, relationship with The Police. Well, I think that with The Police, I had more of a deeper, more thorough knowledge of the, the catalog than I did with ELO. I think that Jeff Lynne and ELO, Jeff Lynne was more of an, an enigma to me. I never really was too knowledgeable or focused on him. Um, it was more just like the whole sound and vibe of ELO. But with the police, I was very much, I would call Sting an early idol of mine. And I, I was in a cover band in high school in which I sang a lot of police songs. And I, I just felt really um, connected to um, him in a way that I maybe wasn't with Jeff Lynn, a different type of a way, more of an em- emotional connection somehow. And also my, my vocal range was very, um, it was really not easy for me to sing police songs. Somehow the, the phrasing and the, and the range was, um, it really was, like, I had a real affinity for that. So I, playing, playing and singing the police songs for me was like putting on a glove that fit me really well. And yeah, there, there was also that, um, it's like an escape back to a more, uh, more innocent time, I guess, when I'm singing those songs, it's like, I was, a I was full of, um, full of hope back back then. (laughs) And, and just like the, the mystery and the magic of music was first enveloping me, you know, and I was, it was just, I was just very, um, excited about. It. And so when I'm play, playing these songs and singing these songs, Police or ELO or Olivia Newton-John, I'm, I think part of it is I'm trying to recapture or re-experience some kind of magical, innocent love of music. Um, and it works, you know, it, it, it's, I'm getting those feelings back. Yeah. One of the songs that has been in your sets a lot from that police cover albums is Hole in My Life. Probably safe to say that's a deep cut. It's a really dark song. Um, I don't know what Sting was thinking when he wrote that song, but it's pretty depressing. What is it that attracts you to that song in particular? Well, I'm attracted to the darkness. I could relate, I could and can relate to the darkness and that's one of the things I loved about Sting was that he he was exploring the shadow side. You know, he was not singing um, just happy love songs. He was he was really like getting really real. You know, and uh, and um, he was into young Carl Jung and analysis. And I I too got really into studying Jungian ideas like the shadow side, the the um, symbolism, things like that. So I, I, I find that stuff really interesting. Exploring the darkness that is in all of us. Some people are afraid or unwilling to acknowledge that that is in all of us, but it is, and I think it's very healthy 
to kind of dive into it and to, you know, if you write about it and sing about it, it's a kind of a catharsis, I think. It's it's getting it out of your system, literally, really. And and when you're mixing the, those dark ideas with with music, it's extra cathartic because you're literally like vomiting it out of you. You know, like you're getting these feelings out of you. It's like a, it's like a very healthy, healthy release. I think it's like a a purging in a way. And you feel after a show, I feel I always feel um, like I've been cleansed in some way. You have such a massive uh, body of work. Um, you've been doing this for a while. I mean, since you were very young and you've recorded so much great music. How do you sit down when you're going to play a show and decide what you're going to play from what eras, what bands? How do you put that all together into a, a show? It can be really difficult because every year that goes by, I have more um, material. You know, I have more written because I keep making albums. And so, yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And every single time I sit down to write a set list, I, I always feel like my head's going to explode. Like, what do I do? And I'm always complaining to my bandmates, like, well, I can't make the set list help me. And then I just end up kind of thinking about what I like to play. And I try to pull from, I try to pull some stuff from the beginning, you know, from the, or from the most popular album or popular quote unquote popular, the most um, widely heard. I'll play my sister, sure. I like to, but I like to play my sister. I think it's a really fun song to play and it still resonates for me. And then if I have a new album, like the ELO album, I'll try to play a couple off the new album. And then I like to play a police song, like whole of my life. It's always fun to play. Mm -hmm. And um, just, and then I'll pull something, I'll pull a few really obscure deep cuts from my own albums just for fun or just to confuse people or to turn on the one or two people who know it. They'll be like, oh yeah, that one, like the song, oh, I play this, oh, is a song that is from my Made in China album, um, which is not a song that anyone ever requests, but I like to play it because it's fun and weird. You're not shy about throwing in deep cuts from your own catalog then because you have so much to work with and and maybe throw in a curveball occasionally that even most people might not be familiar with? Yeah, I do that once in a while. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there are albums of mine that are more, much more obscure than other albums. And um, and then I'll, I'll pick like a really deep cut from a really obscure album um, because I like it. I like the song. And also I like to just see if there's anyone out there who recognizes it and maybe is excited to hear it because it's not often played by me. I just have so many songs and and I love I love so many of them that I like to um, just you know unearth hidden so hidden songs once in a while. Yeah, just to keep keep me on my toes and to entertain myself. You had mentioned yeah. um, my sister. I love the story uh, about that song and. I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was your uh, brother's girlfriend and really kind of helped turn you on to a, a lot of those early uh, bands that you fell in love with. Um, talk a little, did I get that story right? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, the song is really about 
a lot of different things, but she, she this this woman who she came to live with us for a while when my my brother my older brother went into the army, and she stayed on at our house, and she she was older than he was. She was in her early 20s, and my mom was working all day long. And so this girl, Meg, she she ended up being a really important person in my life. She she really helped me deal with some things, and, and she brought her record collection into milk crates. And that was really a really good um, education for me because it had all this great stuff from the era, like the early 80s, mm-hmm. like the replacements and X and... Um, you know, like Dream Syndicate and just all, all kind of R.E.M., the first yeah. R.E.M. stuff. And all that stuff became really important to me. And um, How old were you yeah, was at like, this time? I was a teen. I was probably 16. Mm. And up until then, I'd been listening to just like the AM pop radio hits. And I was really into Olivia Newton-John. And I, was, I liked Billy Joel. I never really said, told anyone that publicly, but I was really into <laughs> Billy Joel and just really popular stuff until Meg came along with her record collection. And it was really like an opening my eyes to punk and post-punk and, you know, black flag and all that stuff, some hardcore. And, and um, it opened up this whole other realm for me. And I realized really with seeing what X was doing, I realized like, wow, I can be my weird unpolished self and still sing these very melodic tunes but it doesn't have to be all polished like Olivia songs. And I can, and I realized like, wow, I can actually be myself and people might like it. And that was just really a revelation for me. And the song, my sister, there's a little bit of Meg in there. Cause Meg brought me to my first club show in Boston, which was an all ages show, the violent Femmes mm. opening for the Del Fuegos at this little club in Kenmore square. And Meg brought me, to that show she had a car and um yeah and that was like a really big deal for me too that show mm-hmm. and you said you were in cover bands were you doing that in high school before what what preceded the Blake babies in your career well um I was I was starting at a young age I was taking piano lessons I was playing piano all up until high school I was studying piano and and then I went to, oh yeah. And then, and then after Meg opened my eyes to, um, you know, post-punk music and stuff like that, that's when I got into a cover band and I was just singing in high school. I was just singing in this cover band with some friends of mine who, who needed a singer in their band. And the drummer in the cover band the, the band was called The Squids. I don't know why. <laughs> the drummer was obsessed with Neil Peart from Rush. So we played some Rush songs. I sang some Rush songs, which worked with my voice. Because um, Getty Lee's voice is kind of high. Mm-hmm. And then we did a whole bunch of police songs. And then I made them do a couple of X songs. None of them had ever heard of X. I made them do a couple of X songs and we did some pretenders and just kind of 80, 80s stuff. We, I think we did a couple of Pat Benatar songs, maybe, maybe a couple in excess. Yeah. And then came Berkeley college, Berkeley college of music. And then the Blake babies happened. And at Berkeley you studied music, but you, you also did art 
as well. Do you still do art, painting, sketching? Yeah, the art school came later. I graduated Berkeley from Berkeley and then had my my career started happening. And then later at a age, I was in my 40s when I applied to art schools and I ended up going to a one-year post-baccalaureate graduate program at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. That was a full-time year. And, yeah, that was just kind of a break from music. And it was great. I still, yeah, I draw a lot. I mostly draw. I don't paint so much anymore. Yeah. I find it odd to say you took a break from music because when I look at your career, it looks like you've continuously put out music for over 30 years. And you're always working on something, it seems. I took that year off though. I, I I had, I finished one album and then I went to, I took, I took the year to just be in art school full time. And um, yeah, that I believe I did not make an album in that year of art school. I can't remember the timeline, but yeah, I think I was, I, I felt like I was slacking off, not making an album that year, but I was, I was just trying to focus on the study and the artwork. Yeah. And then I went, as soon as that was over, I met, I went back to making albums. You've had albums under major labels. You've had a lot of indie albums. Um, are you content now being on an indie and, you know, uh, do you feel the need to be with uh, a larger company? I do not feel that need. No. I mean, there, there are pros and cons with every situation. Mm-hmm. In, with record companies, also with just life, everything. I can see both sides of everything. And right now I'm really enjoying this, this relationship I have with American Laundromat Records. It's a really good working relationship, and I'm able to make pretty much an album a year if I if I can, if I can get it together, and he's able, they're able to um, do that and, you know, get it out there and promote it a little bit and get it to people, you know, get some cool vinyl, vinyl mm-hmm. pressings. So right now it's for this situation is really good for me. I don't, I don't have to, um, get burned out. I can do everything at a, this kind of smaller scale is, is nice for me right now. I'm, I'm enjoying the moment right now. Yeah. Taking a look at the ELO album on your site, there's a lot of different versions, different colored vinyl, CDs, test pressings, a couple of cassette versions also. And, um, you know, I wonder what your thoughts are about being an album-oriented artist in the streaming world when a lot of people want to listen to one song. We're in a streaming world. A lot of people listen to individual tracks, but you're doing albums and a lot of albums still. Could you talk about that? I was just talking to a friend of mine about this about an hour ago, um, he was talking about my new ELO album and he was he was commenting that he thinks it's sequenced really well. He thinks that um like the songs flow together really well and and I I told him that um I was I'm really glad to hear that because I put a lot of effort into the sequencing of the album of every album. I think it it matters to me how the songs flow as a whole album, but at, but I realize that there are not a lot of people that care 
and that there are a lot of people who are not going to listen to a whole album and that's okay with me. Um, I know that some people, a lot of people just will hear a song um, and not the album, but I don't, I don't care. I don't think about, I don't think about what's happening in the modern world when I'm making music. I make music the way I like to make music and the way I like to make music is to think of an album as a whole album of songs that are gonna one song goes into another song goes into another song and maybe no one else cares but my friend cares and I care and so I I think about that sequencing matters to me I I still listen to albums I'm and I'm not the only person in the world who still listens to an album front to back so there's no reason for me to give up putting an effort into the sequencing i'll continue to do that and it's fine if people want to just listen to individual songs that's fine also but um you you're offering with this new release a vinyl single uh with a couple of songs on it um did you grow up on purchasing vinyl singles um yeah i mean vinyl was what there was when i started buying music it was vinyl and singles and cassettes I guess I don't remember buying any eight tracks I don't think I ever had an eight track player but yeah it was vinyl and cassettes and then whatever else happened CDs do you remember some of those early vinyl 45s that you would bring home oh yeah I had some weird stuff like I had a Bob Welch Ebony Eyes single Mm mm-hmm um, oh, I had an England Dan and John Ford Coley single. Um, just weird, random stuff, like songs I heard on the radio and liked. So I bought the single. Yeah. Stuff like that. I was really into AM, AM radio, pop radio. Yeah. And going back to an album we didn't talk about, we we referenced it, your, your covers of Olivia Newton-John uh, songs. And that's a fantastic record. And... Was that one of your favorite artists when you were young and what I think she was popular late seventies to early eighties? Yeah, I loved her so much. She, I just really, um, I, I related to her. I like her character seemed, um, so, um, just so likable to me. She seemed very, so positive, but not in a, overly showy way like her her positivity seemed deliberate and important like she was not faking it she wasn't trying to put anything over on anyone she was like genuinely um she seemed very pure in her wanting to um put across this sort of positive energy that was not cloying and wasn't overly sweet, but it seemed very genuine. She seemed genuine to me and um, not not a faker. And also there's just the sound of her voice I found so beautiful. It's great songwriting. Great, great songwriting. John Farrar wrote a lot of that stuff. Um, and then I was very, very much, very into Grease, the movie, and I, re- I really identified with the character Sandy at an important time in my life. And yeah, she was just like a big idol of mine. 
and seems like a good fit for you. You know, when I listen to your version of Have You Never Been Mellow, it, it seems like a perfect fit for you. You did a wonderful job with that. Yeah, though that album, making that album was a big challenge because some of the songwriting was just very um, complex and surprisingly, deceptively complicated. And figuring out on all the arrangements, um, there's a lot going on in those songs if you really listen, and um, just a lot, a lot of stuff that's happening and putting it all together was like a big, complex puzzle. Um, and it was a lot of a lot of work, but I'm very proud of how it turned out. Yeah, yeah. we were talking earlier. It it seems as though you are the ultimate collaborator um, throughout your career. You've had so many great collaborations. Talk about how you put that together when you're deciding to either write or record or perform uh, with an uh, another artist. It's usually not something that I think about. It's just, these opportunities just kind of present themselves to me. And I don't really, it's, it's almost like I don't make the choices that the things just fall into my lap. Like things just sort of um, happen. Like, I don't even know how they happen, but um, people are just in my life and we're both, we both have some free time. And so we decide to try to do something. It's like that, that kind of thing. I'm not a conceptual artist. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm an intuitive artist. And so I really don't overthink things. Sometimes I don't even think at all. And I just, something, a moment will present itself to me and I'll just go for it. And that's how things happen. You know, I posed this question to Les Claypool in one of our recent episodes about his collaborations, because he's collaborated with so many great musicians, just as you have. And I'll ask you the same question. What is it about Juliana Hatfield that, that makes you a, a good collaborator, that people want to work with you? Um, well, like, like I was talking about a minute ago, I think I have an open mind. You know, I don't overthink anything. I think to collaborate, it's good to not go into a project with any any preconceived ideas about what you want it to be you just have to kind of like go with the flow and um i mean that's that is not to say that i'm i'm like a, a marshmallow i do care about how things work themselves out and i and i can get you know i've butted heads with people in the studio but we work it's because we care and we need to work on certain things. But um, yeah, I think just like a, an open mind and also it's good to not worry about the out, the future outcome. You don't want to worry about how the project will be perceived or how it will be promoted. You just have to focus on being in there working on the music. Cause that's all that matters. You just have to focus on, the music and the friendship. And um, I think if you're thinking about how the world is going to, um, how the, how the world is going to 
welcome the project. It's not it's not good to think about that when you're working on it. You gotta have kind of blinders on and only care about the work. When I think of your music, I think of it as full band, electric, live. Um, are you comfortable doing more stripped down, acoustic, more sparse performances? Yeah, I like to do that sometimes. It's a, it's nice to go do some band stuff and then do some solo stuff. I did a tour in December opening for the Lemonheads and I was I was just playing an electric guitar and it's really nice to do that sometimes. It, it's like a freedom because I can do play whatever I want and the band doesn't have to know it because there's no band. So I can get really um, deep into the catalog and into covers. And um, I think I'm going to do going to do some shows in the fall like that solo, um, just because I think it's time I've done. I've done the past few tours with the band and I think I'm going to just just to shake it up for myself. I think I'm going to do some solo shows. Yeah. And try to try to experiment with playing some ELO songs unaccompanied, you know, I mean, with just my guitar and that'll, that'll be a challenge to work, to, to figure out some arrangements like that. And after this album release, the ELO album, what comes next? Do you have any other projects you're working on? Yeah, I'm writing, writing another album um, of originals. That's what I'm doing right now. It never stops. It doesn't. What am I? What else am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, I still like it. Thank God. I I'm grateful that I still feel really inspired, and I know that's a great. Um, I'm lucky that I'm still inspired. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guest tell us one time that there really isn't a choice. Music is who you are, not necessarily what you do. Um, I thought that yeah, was interesting. It kind of feels like that. Like I've tried to quit music, but I can't. I always end up coming back. I can't quit it. <laughs> Juliana, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, can't wait to uh, dig into this uh, new album and uh, see you when you're back out on the road. All right. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.